0: Welcome back to The Nub, you're with me, your host Nubeid Haroon, and we have an absolute jam-packed show. The Euros are well and truly underway, and so many magical moments have already happened, some chaos as well, and a few surprises along the way too, one of which is Turkey and their awful demise. Now, our caller knows the reason for that.
1: I mean, we have uh, a lack of professionalism from the players, in my opinion, and a lack of planning by the management. And when these two combined, we have a mess in our hands, like the Zeros games.
0: We also look at England versus Scotland, which, as we know, is an absolutely massive game for so many reasons. An England win means there is the knockout stages, pretty much. A Scotland win means chaos will be upon us. And I can't wait to find out what happens. We had David Garrido uh, with us, who gave us the insight, but also... Gave us a little bit of an idea of what can happen after a fixture like this.
2: He is always a breakthrough star at the Euros, isn't there? There's always someone. Remember Rooney in 04, when he came out of you know seemingly nowhere, two against Switzerland, two against Croatia. He's exploded into the tournament. I've got a feeling that there could be someone who comes good here. And who knows? Could it be Billy Gilmore? You know, could it be Bellingham? You know, it's the stage, right?
0: This is The Nub. England versus Scotland is just around the corner and I've got David Garrido, presenter at Sky Sports and Planet Super League, joining us. First of all, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, debate. The Euros are on. You know, you can't <laughs> complain. It's, it's been sunny.
2: You know, it feels like, you know, it's so nice to have a football tournament that we can all
0: get excited. up Football on the Telly from two or from five every day. I mean, what's what's not to love? England versus Scotland, it's the big game. Lots and lots of people are looking forward to this. Echoes of 1996, the oldest international fixture in the calendar, and obviously an absolute must watch. But before we really deep dive into this fixture, how do you feel about this fixture coming in the way it has? Scotland losing, England winning, both have got it all to play for.
2: Yeah, I'd say that England will feel relatively comfortable. They played very well against Croatia. Only sort of midway through that first half, did they maybe lose a little control, but unlike in their World Cup semi-final three years ago, they, they got it back straight after half-time and actually the half-time break came at a good time for Southgate to, to say to his team what, he need, what they needed to hear. Uh, Calvin Phillips was obviously brilliant and I think that he was <clears throat> questioned about his team lineup beforehand and now I think people realise, let Gareth do his job. He knows what he's doing. He knows better than all of us, um, you know, to play Kieran Trippier at left back or not to have Sancho on from the start or not to have Bellingham on from the start or not to have Grealish on from the start. But look, we need to give ourselves some gears here, right? We need to give ourselves some change-ups for later in the tournament. Otherwise, people work us out from the word go. You know, we need to make sure we've got some surprises up our sleeves. So I think England will feel comfortable. I think Scotland will feel, well, this is it. Um, but this might suit them. Remember, it's going to be heavy rain, isn't it? Typically British yep. conditions. Um, Kieran Tierney <laughs> might play. You've got you know players like Che Adams who could come and you know, he was on the bench and came on against the Czech Republic. They've got a few players you know, who are special like Andy Robertson, uh, John McGinn, Tierney as well. So I think that they will be up for it because they know they've got nothing to lose. And in a way, it's kind of the most dangerous Scotland to face. Um, they haven't got anything to protect here. They've got to go out and win it.
0: And I think they'll be positive as well. The flip side of that is with Scotland coming gung ho. I don't think they will be able to come gung ho. It's just it's a silly tactic, but they have to go for it. That probably leaves them very open for England on the other side. And you you mentioned England's setup. Do you think we'll tinker with the anticipation Scotland are going to come for us? or maybe we start Rashford and Sancho for more pace. Do so you think Gareth knows what he knows what he's doing? <laughs> we can't speculate, and I'm not putting ideas in his Listen, mind.
2: Listen, th- I think that the, the team that was picked for the first game was very much with Croatia in mind um, he could be a little bit more adventurous he might not have two holding mids Phillips uh, uh, alongside obviously the one of the first names on the team sheet now Declan Rice there are a few that you think he's got to play him you know he's, he's got to play Pickford uh, he's, he's got to play John Stones he's, he's got to play Harry Kane he's got to play Mason Mount and i would also say he's got to play Declan Rice so I think that those five and it's interesting because they're all in the spine aren't they and it kind of comes back to the basics of football like if you get that strong spine i think you're in a good place who's around that i don't think he's going to tinker too much with the defense i think that's wise um but i think there might be the odd change and i think you're right i think maybe it's maybe a rashford um i don't think greenish will start this next game but i think that you know he's got the options there that makes just one or two little changes no one's going to you know, bat an eyelid. And I think that um, in terms of the style of the game and you know, the way that England are going to come out, I think that it will suit them that Scotland have to chase from the word go. A point doesn't really suit them. They need to try and get all three. I don't think they'll be, they'll be gung-ho like you said. I think you know, it would be madness for them to do that. They'll probably just mm. try and bed themselves into the game. But at some point they will go. And England have got to be ready for that and switched off when that happens.
0: Is there an ever-so-slight argument, and it's terrible coming from me being an England fan, but that England played a very weak Croatia? I know I know, we're saying England played well, and I feel like England played well for little stints but I've always felt like we had another gear So I felt like Croatia were awful.
2: Yeah, Croatia have not rebuilt well since they were World Cup finalists. Mm. I mean, it was only three years ago but they they lost a number of players, you know, Mandzukic, Rakitic, Subasic, Strinic. Um, Modric has had a great season with, with Real Madrid. They have Really good players that just are not hitting the mark at the moment. Uh, so you're right; they, they they absolutely didn't perform anywhere near the level that they're capable of. And England took advantage of that. And I think you're right. You know, we shouldn't get over. You know, we shouldn't overstate the, the the significance of that victory. It's a first Euros opening game win for England. They hadn't won the opening game at a Euros in nine previous attempts. So tenth time lucky for them. I think England fans are just happy. They've kind of put themselves in pole position in the group Um, but I think you're right there is more there are more gears here and I think as I said with the personnel there are certainly you know more more options there that that Gareth Southgate can can look to so um, not a bad thing in a way 1-0 against a side that uh, have got dangerous players who might not have hit their straps opening game just get that done just get it done and then later on you can build Um, But, you know, at least you're keeping your expectations in check. I think, you
0: know, a lot of people have gone a bit crazy with this first win. I think it's better to be a little bit more measured. I think every England fan almost quietly feels as though we have to enjoy every five minutes of glory at a time because we're so afraid that it could go wrong at any time. And of course, for Scotland, they turn up in this game thinking we want to stop that five minutes of glory. But now the other side of the trap for them is if... They do, and if they want to, then they have to also actually go for glory. Whereas previously, I think Scotland getting a 1-1 against England was like a, what an achievement we've held England off. This time around, 1-1 means they're probably going home, unless they beat well, do Croatia. You remember,
2: do you remember that game at Hampden? Uh, they played them in the, I guess it was the Nations League, and uh, England were, I think they were 1-0 up, and then suddenly, in, in late in the game, they were 2-1 down, and eventually it was Harry Kane who rescued them, yeah. 2-2 draw at Hampden. I've got a feeling it could be a little bit like that, you know. I, I've got a feeling really? it's got that real sort of sense of, you know, you don't want to watch, but you have to watch, but you hate the fact you're watching, you can't stop not watching, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those fixtures. And it's something always happens. Uh, I think I remember, uh, it was Paul Skulls, I think he might have been... Um, either if, uh, I can't remember if he actually had a, a storming game against the Scots, or maybe he got sent off. But it's one of those things yeah. that you know, there's there's something that is significant that is going to happen in this game. We remember you you said it right at the top there Euro '96, you know the McAllister penalty saved by Siemens
0: elbow, and then the, yeah. the Gaza goal. Um, just it's one of those games that always ignites, isn't it? Yeah, it's always going to be chaos, and I think especially for this this time around, I think Scotland coming into this tournament felt this is the strongest we've been in a very long time. And so they probably thought England in the group, we win that first game and then we go after England. I can't believe they lost their first game because I don't think that was against the strongest opposition. I mean, one was an outrageous goal and I actually felt they were quite unlucky. I thought they created a lot of chances. Uh, Lyndon Dykes missed two absolute sitters. Che Adams came off the bench, missed a good chance. I think the worry for Scotland would be, it felt as though everything was give it to Robertson, do something, give it to Robertson. England England will stop that. We've seen Walker stop Robertson previously then it, it becomes a case of, like, who else is going to do it for Scotland? And in that sense, you probably go, well, England should probably win this game. But these games are never like that, are they? No, they're not.
2: And, and I think that there will be there will be other players who come to the fore now. Uh, yes, of course, you've got to keep an eye on Andy Robertson, one of the best fullbacks in the modern game. Interesting to see if Tierney plays. And he has been involved in light training. And Steve Clarke in his press conference was a little bit... You know, just playing it down a bit, but not ruling him out. It's almost those sort of give get, Gas Southgate something to think about in terms of do I need mm. to think about, you know, a double, a double, you know, an axis on that left hand side where you know, there'll be overlaps and there'll be incredible little moments there that would really, you know, you'd have to say you need to give. Walker a bit of cover there. So, I think that could be a concern. I think when McGinn gets on the ball, if he can dominate the midfield a little bit, if if England don't have pressure on him, he can take the tempo of a game. Um, I think they've got an excellent keeper in David Marshall, as he proved in that amazing shootout um, against Serbia. So, I think there are dangerous players. As I said, there's others that that can come in. Billy Gilmore would love to see him come onto the pitch and and, and show what he can do. Um, You know, I'm sure that... Chelsea fans uh, who are England fans would hope that maybe he doesn't show his full <laughs> talent in this game. But he is a talent. And, and we do, there's always a breakthrough star at the Euros, isn't there? There's always someone. Remember Rooney in 04, when he came out of you yeah. know, seemingly nowhere. Two against Switzerland, two against Croatia, he's exploded into the tournament. I've got a feeling that there could be someone who comes good here. And who knows? Could it be Billy Gilmore? You know, could it be could it be Bellingham? You know, it's the stage, right? And I think that these encounters often just create those almost magical circumstances for someone to break through.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what it it always feels like in the Euros is it all builds up into lots of different games, but there's always one game that everyone remembers. And I think England playing Scotland in a group stage game where Scotland have everything to play for. England could practically win this game and qualify. And so both teams really just could go for the win that's what i think everybody wants to see personally and i know i shouldn't say this out loud but i actually really wanted scotland to win their first game because i was like let's go head to head let's go gung-ho after each other in that second game uh but it hasn't turned out that way and i'm sure i haven't made too many fans saying that just before i let you go um What do you think is going to actually happen in this game? Drop a little prediction out there for us. Okay, in terms of the pattern of the game, uh, I think England
2: will be assertive like they were against Croatia to start off with, but not recklessly. So, I think they know they need to command the game. They need to be the authoritative um, force in the game. And I think Scotland will sit in to start off with. But then, as I say, as long as they're not completely just knocked out of the game, not getting any possession, sort of trying to get a sniff of the ball, I think once they can get someone like Robertson or McGinn onto the ball and making sure they at least are fighting for the ball and fight for possession, then they will try and go. And I think that they will attack down the flanks and I think that they will try and put England under that pressure from their own fans too. And I think that, you know, if it is a wet old night at Wembley and it's a slippery surface, I would imagine they'll want to test out Jordan Pickford because remember, you know, this boy's talented but he's made a few mistakes in his career as well and it would be interesting to see if, you know, from 15, 20 minutes on they start just shooting from distance, putting him under pressure. And, And I think that ultimately from that point on, it's who is, you know, going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and that's an individual player. Is it McGinn? Is it Phillips again? Is it someone like Mason Mount? And I would love to see um, just a genuinely entertaining open contest um, that does flow. Um, I reckon England will win it. I think there will be goals and uh, I'll probably go 2-1 England. But Scotland maybe could just, let's say, cause a bloody nose by taking the lead in this game and England to come back to win it. And my goodness, can you imagine what England fans would feel after that? they would feel that they're going to win not just the Euros but the World Cup and
0: Eurovision why not my goodness (laughs) love it I really hope it does play out exactly like you just said because when you were describing it I was like I was right in there I was like this is the game let's go I felt like it was on my sofa it was Sunday already (laughs) Uh, David thank you so much for your time really good to chat to you anytime anytime Italy are on fire they have suddenly emerged as everyone's favorites to win the euros after a couple of games uh, I'm joined by Daniel who works in sports marketing with current and ex Italy players so he knows what it feels like and right now he's grinning ear to ear you must be incredibly excited with what's happening here you've turned into the monsters of the of the competition
3: yeah i mean it's a pretty good start Uh, i don't know if we've turned into the monsters but uh, it's a great start we need to see what we can do with bigger teams but um, six goals into matches no goal allowed it's a it's a nice way to start the competition
0: yeah, and you're dominating games, you're keeping clean sheets. All of a sudden, you have Loc- Locatelli's first goal was sensational. Uh, and Roberto Mancini's on this run where you have been indestructible, where you've played very good sides, and you continuously get results, score goals, and you don't concede. You have the old Italian formula with this new Italian city flair, and all of a sudden, there's this perfect thing building in the middle.
3: Yeah, I mean... I believe that what's not highlighted much in this Italian team is their defence, like they are not allowing goals and Kellini Bonucci Donnarumma is a trio that is working. Um, maybe sometimes you forgot to mention the goalkeeper, but I believe it's one of the best goalkeepers in Europe and before him you have to pass two of the best central defenders in Europe. Um, so one of the things that's much underrated in this Italian team is defence and um, now that they're finding uh, as always in this kind of competition the enthusiasm, the harmony of, uh, of a, a really a real team like they are a team you don't have much individualities but they play together
0: It's, it's really interesting to me this because you've won two games and you're very, very pessimistic. England fans, as a comparison, beat Croatia, and they were singing, it's coming home.
3: (laughs) No, it's not... I don't believe that's a pessimistic approach. It's just, there are bigger teams. You didn't play against them yet. (laughs) And, yes, you started well, but... um, it's you're careful, you're, you're very careful. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's the knockout stages, that, that's where everything is played. Like, yeah, yesterday night we saw France against Germany. That was kind of like uh, a knockout stage match. And that's the kind of match I believe you want to play before really getting into it.
0: Mm. What's the mood like generally? What's the feeling in the country? What's the feel? I think I, I was told you've been watching the game with a few of your friends. There must be one of yeah. those guys who's saying,
3: Italia is gonna <laughs> win it." No, there, there is enthusiasm around the team. Like Mancini built a, a really good team. It's uh, his team, and uh, he he wanna do well with with the guys. They, like. The links between, I don't know if links is the right word but the feeling that is being created between them is really good. And like Italy is always dangerous in this kind of competition. And uh, the enthusiasm of the people, of Italian people can bring the teams something else and make this team special. As I said, uh, no rush, and uh, let's see what we can do against bigger teams.
0: It's a very careful approach. You mentioned a a few bigger teams. As an England fan, I'll ask you this question first, then I'll ask you about other teams. Is England for you a bigger team? Are you thinking England could be a troublesome team to come up against?
3: I believe so, but... uh, England latest history in big competition is not on his side, let's say. Oh, <laughs> oh. That's, that's so, one way to say it. But, yeah, but I believe at this level, individualities matters, And Italy is a good team, very good team, but there are no individualities. If you look at the English team, there are... Singular player that can make the difference and can change your game around. In Italy, it's hard to find this kind of guy. The whole team together can work it out. But to find an individual that can make a difference, it's harder than to find it in England.
0: Mm. I mean, would you say on paper, England's squad has more individual talent than Italy's squad?
3: Offensively, Yes. Defensively, I still don't know. I, I don't think so, but offensively, yes.
0: You have players like Freddy Chiesa, who this season was wonderful for Juventus, and we haven't even seen a glimpse of him yet in this tournament. I still think he can unlock the door when the time comes.
3: Uh, yeah, I believe that's an option that uh, Mancini keeps to himself. Uh Berardi today gives you a kind of solidity mm. that Keza doesn't give you, and a part of that, bringing Keza in in the second half could be a good weapon, like a really good weapon.
0: I like I like the careful approach, honestly, because this week all I've heard from England fans is we're definitely winning it after beating a very tired and old Croatia team 1-0. Um, I love how...
3: I don't want to offend anybody, but t- Turkey, after today as well, is not the team that we expected it to be. And Switzerland, it can be compared to Croatia, to be fair,
0: <laughs> oh, it's, okay, so let's let's hear this properly then. So, are you also are you saying England are getting a little bit too excited?
3: No, no, I'm not saying so. But England has, has a good team, and they can believe whatever they want. <laughs> uh, but like, I don't know. At, at the end. Experience matters as well, I think, and uh, in this Italian team there is a lot of experience as well, which will help a lot along the competition. Maybe, maybe England is lacking this kind of experience or uh, doesn't have many players that play international matches important as the Italians one, and this could play a part in a pass in competition like that but apart from this i don't see anything in the path of england to
4: <laughs>
3: bring back home the trophy as you like to mention <laughs> <laughs>
0: seeing as you've been uh, very careful with your words i I, yeah. I need i need an answer do you think italy will win the euros
3: no but ca- ca- can i be completely honest with you yeah i, I don't know if i can you can you can you can go ahead. Yeah. Uh about my background, I, I'm born in Italy as you can hear from my accent, but actually my father is French. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not a real Italian supporter because I grew up watching football with him and supporting France. So we've been
0: talking to an, Ita- an Italian fan who's actually a France. I mean, you've got the best ticket in the world. It it's Italy versus France in the final, who are you going to support?
3: Uh, depends where I am in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and depends who I'm with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if oh. there is
3: a big Italian guy around me, m- maybe I will be surprised.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, amazing. Thank you so much, Daniel. Turkey have had a poor tournament so far, losing to Wales and looking very flat. Also losing to Italy as well. Uh, I'm joined by Turkey fan Barish. How are you doing, my friend? You must be feeling pretty bad right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed, honestly. And yeah, I'm trying to hold you
0: up. Well, at the start of the tournament, I was one of these people, and lots of people said it as well, that Turkey are the dark horses. They're, they're the quiet favorites that we're not 100% sure whether they're going to really turn up. But the whole tournament, they've been really, really poor.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you look at the last couple of Turkish results, yours was a steep decline, for sure. Um, we won against Holland. We defeated Norway 3 um, We didn't lose to France. We won in Turkey and we drove in Paris. And we drew against Germany also. Um, so, yeah, the su- squad is a decent quality as well, as you know. I mean, three of our players have become champions of France with Lille. And Burak Yilmaz mm-hmm. has scored 16 goals in, in France and played a huge role. And Hakan Chalanol is number 10. In Milan, so we were um, guessing that we would have a great tournament, and we had high hopes. But apart from the scores, we we played terribly, and yeah, the game we played, the, uh, we played 16, sometimes 70 meters distance on the pitch, and I remember that uh, there were six, sometimes seven Italian players between our defensive line and the midfield. While we were trying to get the ball up front, I mean, how you going to achieve that? That's that's impossible. And in the Wales game, Ramsey ran, I think, three or four times behind the defense line, and finally scored. Unsurprisingly, they had one main attacking plan, basically, and it wasn't something crazy. I mean, you can easily address it with one of the defense midfielders following him anywhere and a good offside trap. But we couldn't achieve that. Our attacking attempts were messy and in a hurry. I
0: and mean, there's a lot of reasons where this went wrong. Um, but when I look at that squad, I'm thinking you've got Suyuncu, you've got Kabak, you've got Demirel. Three centre-backs who are easily, if not Champions League quality, at least Europa League quality. You've mentioned some of the yeah. players that have played for Lille. You've got AC Milan's number 10 in there as well. This Turkey side is 100% on paper better than Wales, better than Switzerland better than the likes of Czech Republic, better than potentially even the likes of someone like Croatia, who's sort of at the end of their time. What actually went wrong?
1: I think there are a couple of dynamics that we need to talk about here. Um, I mean, we have uh, a lack of professionalism from the players, in my opinion, and a lack of planning by the management. And when these two combined, we have a mess in our hands, like these Euros games, and I think most of the players wanted to someday pull side more than qualify out of the group stages. Um, in the telematch, Italian players run more than Turkish players, and that says a lot. I mm. mean, you run less than your opponent in a game where you lost 3-0. There is a saying in Turkish, actually, something like, you can't play badly, but you can fight badly, and that means mm. that it's react to the score. I mean, show everything you got on that pitch. Um, but that was too much to ask from them, apparently. Um, and when you think, for example, Jorginho, Jorginho uh, came to this tournament with the Champions League Cup, and when you see the enthusiasm he plays with, um, it makes you question other players. And Turkey has a non-persistency problem. Um, and Norway's uh, head coach summarized it uh, in a great way. In my opinion, he said something like, uh, "We don't know which version of Turkey we are going to get before the press uh, before the pre-match press conference." And that's that's a great summary because we don't know as well. Um, we have a persistence problem, and I think they are related to lack of professionalism and overall lack of planning by the management team.
0: What makes you say that there's a lack of professionalism in the players? Is, is it something you've read? Something that's been said?
1: I would say that they don't play every game equally. I mean, that's that's more apparent in 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 the a, a example that um, you you win against Holland three days ago and three days after you drew against Latvia. Three three you uh, considered the last two goals from Latvia in the last 15 minutes. That's lack of uh, focus. Um, and lack of professional overall. And after the leagues ended, these Euros uh, took place and like I said, I guess they want to go for a whole day more than they want to qualify out of the group stages and that shows.
0: Obviously, you you clearly sound very sad and upset because you're, you're yeah. Turkish. You're a Turkey, massive Turkey fan, obviously. Um, what's the mood like in general among Turkish fans, is it a case of this is a disgraceful tournament?
1: Yeah, something similar to that. We, we are disappointed because we had high hopes. We hadn't high hopes. Uh, we hadn't got high hopes in 2002 when we uh, played semi-finals in the World Cup, or 2008 uh, again. We played semi-finals, but for the first time we had high hopes in this squad of players, and it not it didn't pay up.
0: Well, clearly. Um, I don't want to batter you with any more questions because it's clearly, <laughs> clearly a stressful time. Uh, you never know what could happen. The tournament still has um, things to offer. You still have one game left. You never know. Um, but I think by the sounds of it, you've pretty much given up, right?
1: Yeah, um, I, I guess it's mathematically possible, but in a real world, um, that's game, game over. Um, And yeah, I mean, we have a young squad of players and we have more tournaments in front of us. We can still correct our mistakes and come make better in the next tournaments. And we have still high hopes from these players. Um, We just need a more compact and more passionate team in the field uh, like Italy.
0: Well, pressure's on for Turkey to become the next Italy. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. (laughs) So last week, I introduced you guys to this sick app called Ultimate Fan. Now, I'll quickly tell you what it is. You should know by now. It's fantasy football meets pack openings. Literally, you can open packs and then get points from the players you get. It's free to play, and there's 125K cash prizes up for grabs. Now, I thought I was going to win a cash prize, but I've had a stinker. Group stage won 11 points, which is... Horrific. That puts me in five thousand one hundred and fifty ninth in the world. It is only UK and Ireland, and I don't know. I don't know the population of the two countries combined. But I really thought I'd be much higher up. Now this week, uh, I got a fresh set of gold packs, and <laughs> I'm about to win it all. So if you listen to this, you're about to lose to me because I've just bought in two new players. um I've actually got three, but only two of them are going to start. And I'll give you one one of them. He's just a guy, isn't he? He's just a guy. Paul Pogba. He joins my team. He was unbelievable for France against Germany. Uh, And I think he's just going to grow and grow in this tournament. He's in my team, which means Fabian Ruiz is no longer in my team. I'm jumping to the bench. And the other guy is... uh, player of the Premier League season, Ruben Diaz, he's going to come in at centre-back and I'm actually going to replace Harry Maguire. Don't know why I started Harry Maguire because he's not even starting for England because he's injured, but that's my stupidity. If you want to get involved and if you want a cash prize uh, come the end of this game week or group stage, then there's only one way to do it. Go and download the Ultimate Fan app. Then you can head over to Uf Plus, get that gold subscription, and get yourself them gold promo packs, get the top players, and then you can compete against me. I mean, I'm not really competition right now, but I will be. I will be at the end of this group stage. And remember, it you have to be 18 years or older. UK and Ireland residents only. Tees and C's applies, and you can see the details at ultimatefan.com. got zach Lowy joining us co-creator of breaking the lines and can i just say i get a lot of my tactical input and football knowledge from these guys so thank you for that how are you doing my friend
4: i'm doing very well thank you so much for having me on uh i really appreciate that about btl um yeah definitely make sure to check out our euros 2020 coverage because we're pretty much covering every single game um and yeah definitely a great uh resource um to keep you guys informed but yeah thank you so much for having me on
0: a solid elevator pitch. Uh, we've got you on to chat about the first round of Euro 2020. I don't know why it's called 2020 still. It should be 2021. Um, and just a couple of highlights of what stood out for you. So far, if I said, just pluck a moment out of the air that you've really enjoyed or that's going to stick with you in 10 years' time that you might tell your kids about, is there a moment that sticks in your mind?
4: Oof, I don't know. I mean, um, potentially Christian Eriksson's Debacle for the bad reasons, obviously, um, and maybe even I, I. I think for the good reasons, you have to go with Patrick Schick's wonder goal. Um, and it was it was funny because like I I was actually I, I was watching the game and then uh, my dog started barking, so I went to get him a bone. And right when I was getting him, right when I had left, uh, Schick ended up scoring. And then I like checked and heard and heard like all the screaming. I was like, what the I missed this, like so. so. Maybe,
0: maybe you might not tell your kids. You might might be telling your dog's kids at some stage. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, but um, no. I mean, it, there's some, been some crazy action so far, honestly, um, and it, it just feels amazing. It, I to to get back. I mean, I don't think I've had this much fun watching a tournament since like, I don't know. I can't. I just. I feel like it's also we've been we've been deprived of normalcy for so long, you know, whether that be like no fans in the stadium. I think seeing all those fans packed into the hungry Portugal match was so beautiful. Um, just in terms of normalcy. Um, and also just, yeah, it really does feel like football's back. Um, it feels like things are back to normal and, uh, just some absolutely fantastic games. Uh, I think in, in general, we, yeah, we haven't seen that many upsets so far, But um, I think the quality of the games has been really good so far.
0: Yeah, 100%. I'm just going to quickly take you back to the Christian Eriksson moment because I haven't actually spoke to anyone on air about that. Um, And you mentioned how that's a memorable moment, but for negative reasons um, and everything that happened. What was your reaction to that when it was going on?
4: Man, I was super scared. Like, I actually, I did not know. I, I, I saw that, like, Ericsson I think he got, like, g- gently kicked by a ball. Like, there was a ball coming towards him, and then, and then he got hit, and then he, like, went down to the ground. So I was, like, sort of weirded out. Like, wait, why is he down on the ground? Like, is he just playing that thing, or, or what? And then, like, you, you saw it go on for minutes on end, and, you know, getting him getting CPR, uh, and it was it was super scary. I mean, I think that uh, there was a really good chance that, that he was that he wasn't going to make it. In fact, I think that the the Denmark coach or one of the medicals uh, assistants said something along the lines of you know we had lost him for a second and then we brought him back. So um, it was something that just really like I, I'll be honest, I did not the, the only um, the only part of a game that I've not watched so far has been the second half of the Finland Denmark match just because I felt like super I, I just couldn't put myself to watch it like I turned it back on and then I was like nah I can't I can't do this I can't watch it it just felt super weird like forcing not just the Denmark players but the Finland players as well I mean they they had suffered it as well um, forcing them to come back on and and play for another 10 minutes like or for, for another you know uh 50 minutes I don't know it just seemed kind of weird to me um and I also really didn't like how uh they were showing you know his his wife being consoled and all this and the Denmark players having to Um, cover, cover Erickson, you know, some things should be made private. I don't know. It definitely made me think of, of a bit unrelated, but of Naomi Osaka leaving, uh, the, the the French Open, you know, for her mental health. It definitely made me think of, like, my role as a journalist, um, and, and, you know, if, if we're doing things right. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely the lowest point of this entire campaign, but to be fair, it's been, it's been uphill ever since.
0: Yeah, um, to be f- just quickly, I know Christian is definitely not listening to this podcast, but <laughs> just want to se- send our good wishes to him because he looks healthy. And hopefully, you never know, like, c- could yeah. this be Denmark's thing that they come back to now and think you know our best mate is good he's better now he's healthier now and we're gonna win it for him there is that side of it as well they could somehow use this as inspiration we've seen players do that in the past Kasper Schmeichel as an example at Leicester um, he's had multiple setbacks on obviously with the owners and things like that as well so they could work that way for Denmark in the end
4: yeah no absolutely I mean I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in tomorrow's match against Belgium, who look absolutely phenomenal. Who looked absolutely phenomenal against Russia. Um, I don't know though. It's just Ericsson obviously losing any player to that kind of stuff is is, is is something is something that's going to you know leave a massive impact on your squad but Christian Eriksson, a player who has been really the talisman of this Denmark side for years on end who's been playing in pretty much every single major tournament for them since uh, the 2020 since the 2010 World Cup in South Africa I believe um, it's it's really hard to come back from that but yeah I, I think that I, I would absolutely love to see them Reno you know, rally themselves and you know, potentially beat uh, Belgium and Russia. I think that would be something that that we would all love to see. Uh, I I I think that Belgium. I'm pretty confident that Belgium finished top of their group. Finland. Uh, you know, I think that they're definitely one of our favorite underdogs. But I don't know. After after seeing what happened, I would I would absolutely love to see Denmark. Um, get, give it a go i think um, it
0: ended up being the story of the euros that everyone remembers if denmark came back and somehow made it through and then yeah. you never know what can happen after that in knockout football um just quickly worst performances so far because i remember you saying the, the standard has been really high has there been any particular team or any result that's made you think this 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 is just dreadful
4: yeah i'm not sure who I'm not sure who I'd say who's been the worst team, but definitely in terms of the uh, the gap between performances and expectations, I think that has to go with Turkey. They've really underperformed the expectations. Uh, I had them. I, di- I didn't think they were going to top the group, but I did think that they were going to get out of their groups and finish second. Uh, I, I thought that they were going to be potential dark horses. Looking at you know Burak Gilmaz coming off an incredible season at Lille, uh, the centre back pairing of, of you know likes of Meri Demiral and Kalir Soyuncu, as well as the quality in midfield likes of Ozan Tufan, Yusuf Yazici, uh, Hakan Calhanoglu, they've been a really massive disappointment, um, just like they were in 2016, except I would say to a much bigger degree. Considering fact, you know, there was a lot of positivity. Going into this Turkey side, um, you know they—I believe—they didn't even lose to France in the qualifiers, um, and and they had you know really grinded out some impressive results going into this. Uh, but yeah, abs- two absolute stinkers so far um, against uh, Wales and Italy. Um, you know, I—I I understand obviously from. You know, in terms of Italy, who are, who are probably look like the best team in this entire thing, uh, alongside maybe France. Um, but Wales, really? I mean, give give credit to Wales because <laughs> hey, I a
0: a a a. I just want to say Wales yeah. played well. All right, but Turkey have been absolutely awful. Um, I did
4: wales like i thought that they had passed their peak but they really impressed me um and I don't, know, I don't know if
0: that's more to do with turkey or more to do with wales to be honest yeah. But I, I thought that when it was italy and italy turned up and battered switzerland who i would actually say have been one of the other really poor performing sides yeah. uh, lastly obviously you are as i said at the top of at the top of this section you are the knowledge guy <laughs> who who and this is a pressure question now because now you got to show your knowledge. <laughs> Has there been any low key individual performances that you think have been the best so far that maybe other people, the neutral normal football fan, wouldn't notice?
4: So in terms of low key, I mean, uh, I mean Patrick Schick obviously, but I wouldn't say he's been so much low key. In the fact that I think everybody in this entire. Uh, on football Twitter has seen that goal. So, no, in terms of low-key performances, uh, quite a few. I mean, I think that as a team, uh, I would go with Slovakia, actually. I think that they were extremely impressive, Um, you know, in their opening match. I thought that Marek Hamsic, you know, rolling back the years with a great performance. Uh, Undrej Duda, really impressive in that false nine role and um and Milan screened are as well as grabbing a goal to win the match he also pretty much kept robert lewandowski uh quiet uh and you know was super impressed with his performance in defense um apart from those guys uh i i mean definitely i would say calvin phillips actually it's 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 interesting to have have an english player on a low key list but i think that you know calvin Got to give him credit. Again, Got to give Bielsa credit, obviously, for, for taking him from a championship player to a player who's balling out. Um, but, you know, a few weeks back, there we, we didn't even know if Calvin was going to make the final slot. You know, it looked like, you know, it could have been him, could have been Lingard, could have been Ward-Prowse. But he made it. He started alongside Rice, even though I think a lot of people thought he was going to be a deputy for Declan Rice. But he was probably the best player on the entire pitch um, at Wembley Stadium against Croatia. Just so composed, so uh, so organized on both ends of the ball. Uh, as much as I love Jude Bellingham, I, I don't, I don't know if he's going to get back into the team if if Calvin keeps playing like this.
0: Yeah, I mean Calvin first played out of his skin uh, I wonder if Jordan Henderson has something to say about whether he might be getting in the team soon because he's lurking he's waiting uh in the shadows Zach thank you so much for your time uh I know is it like 5 30 there did you say it's 5 30 or 540 over
4: yeah 540 yeah <laughs> it's
0: madness thank you so much for your time man
4: thank you so much for having me on I really hope to be on again soon and uh yeah it was a pleasure um and yeah definitely check out btl's euro 2020 content we're covering pretty much every single game uh so definitely make sure to give those articles a read i'm joined by jonathan Schrager, journalist and avid follower
0: of manchester united that's at jonathan Schrager. make sure you check him out on twitter i think there's only one place to start the euros are here and paul pogba is tearing it up already yeah
5: no he's doing well i spotted on your your twitter earlier that you're uh you're you're a fan of Paul, or you certainly think that maybe he's not getting the credit he deserves from the pundits, is what I was picking up a little bit, or maybe the commentators. I mean,
0: yeah. Did you watch the game? I think like he made an, I think it, he made an amazing pass or like a cross turn, and they started talking about how He was yeah. sensational for for France, and I think that's that's what United fans are probably hoping you can get from him next season.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's such a Pogba's one of those players. He really polarizes so many people sort of United fans or not, really. Um, He's he's someone that you could probably host a whole show on, just on him and the merits of Paul Pogba. Um, Yeah, it's it's a funny one with Paul, because sometimes he can have a really tidy game. He can, you know, he can just keep things ticking because he's almost sort of conspicuous by his absence, but he's really still had a good game and been very tidy. He he never gets a mention. It's almost like... unless he's doing something absolutely spectacular, he doesn't get the plaudits.
0: It's an interesting point, isn't it? I've heard it a lot and I've said it myself that I think Paul in a good team is one of the best players in the world. Paul in an average to average side or an average to good side is a great player for 10 games. But the rest of the season, we probably won't get the best out of him because I don't know whether it's a case of can he be bothered? That's, That's what speculation suggests. Or whether it's a case of He requires that excellence around him to allow him to be phenomenal. Uh, And it's quite... I mean, I always think back to history and I think, have I seen a player like that before? And I don't think I've ever seen a player who divides opinion so much, but everybody knows how good he is. Do you know what I mean?
5: 100%. It's why he's frustrating. And I don't think it is, um, can he be... I don't think it's an element of, like, temperament, effort... Maybe temperament more than effort levels. I think with Paul, I watch him so much. And I just focus sometimes, I'll just watch him you know, in a game because he's kind of interested in how he moves and stuff around the pitch. It's almost like he needs an injection of urgency. Is the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. I think he's that fluid and, and he enjoys the game that much just in terms of just like being a free spirit. I sometimes just think he needs urgency. It's the only real, it's the key word that's all I can think of. Because I don't, I never look at him and really think he's not trying or he's not. I just think that sometimes he's such a luxury and he's such a talent that he almost needs a free role. It's the best way I can describe it. And and at times at United, he probably has been scapegoated, even maybe by myself at times when it's frustration. Because you look to him and you look to him to produce something but it's unfair you know one man can't do the whole thing you know and i've been guilty of it myself i hold my hands up
0: there, there is a theory that there is a man who can do the whole thing and he plays for portugal uh and obviously Manchester now, bruno fernandes kicked off his tournament and uh I'd, I'd say and this is my personal argument uh in where you can say this is a good thing or a bad thing i think bruno shines for united because of what you what you've just mentioned there about Pogba. You want him to carry it, and Bruno can do whatever he wants. If Bruno wants, he can two-foot a fan in the face, but he's Bruno Fernandes. If Pogba does that, it's a completely different conversation. And I think you see in this Portugal side, Bruno's now having to almost be roped in. They're almost saying to him, don't do what you do for United. You can't just hit it long every time you get it. You can't try and shoot from 40 yards out. We want you to play the way we want you to play. Um, which is a very interesting angle because I think what if what if you unlock both of them at the same time? You ask Bruno to tone it down a little bit, allow Pogba to play a bit more freely, and obviously the demand for you guys to get hold of midfielder that happens all of a sudden. Now you have two monsters in midfield.
5: Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean. Ultimately, whilst Ronaldo is is sticking around, he's always going to be second fiddle, isn't he, Bruno? Whereas he's kind of assumed this role at United where he's the driving force. And he's probably a player that kind of relishes that, the sort of alpha dog in the team. And yeah, maybe there's an element of being in Ronaldo's shadow a little bit. I remember with Nani for many years at United, he only fully kind of probably fulfilled his potential once, ironically, once Ronaldo had left because he was able to grow into his role as a, as a sort of flair player. um, Yeah, Bruno, again, he's a funny a funny player because he didn't particularly, I wouldn't say, have a good season last year. You watched him many games. And, his know,
0: performances were dreadful, but he scores yeah, a goal and he gets away with it.
5: There we go, yeah. You know, he, he pulls something out of the hat and kind of like... I suppose maybe people would then say, yeah, but he you know, he produces the goods more than Pogba or whatever. But if you just look at his overall display, he had some stinkers last year where he was dispossessed or gave away possession equally, if not more than Paul. Um, maybe you could argue he gives it away in diff- more attacking positions, but purely based on the fact that that's positionally where he is on the field. But yeah, they're, they're both... You're right. Imagine if you had a Kante behind the two of them.
4: Yeah, I mean,
5: all, all of them. Now we talking. Know, I, mean, I, I, I like Fred. I like Fred purely based on his his energy and his enthusiasm. But if we're going to be honest, when he gets on the ball, he's got no way near the composure levels of Akante, who just—I mean—I watch the guy, and I think we all under underestimate him because, like, he's kind of got that water carrier tag a little bit, hasn't he? But mm-hmm. I think when you watch him, he's a sensational little player as well, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can talk about Kante all day. I think he's... It's insane because 18 months ago, after Sari started playing in attacking midfield and then Lampard was trying to figure out whether Kante exists, all of a sudden N'Golo Kante was finished, according to many. Uh, but the way he's come back this season under Tuchel and obviously now for France, people are kind of going, oh, actually, yeah, he actually is just one of the best players in the world in his position. Um, aside from Pogba, Bruno Kante, uh, we've seen Rashford not featured for England as of yet and also Luke Shaw, um, now, I'll start with Luke Shaw because that one was bizarre to me. We have two left-backs. We played Kieran Trippi at left-back. It worked to some extent. I think people sort of hyped the idea of it working a little more than it did because we won the game. But that yeah. Luke Shaw emission was quite an interesting one. And also, a week before, Jose Mourinho was asked, would you play Chilwell or Luke Shaw? And, of course, Jose said, Chilwell, Luke Shaw hasn't got a chance. Yeah. He... I heard something today.
5: I was listening to a podcast and... And I must commend Gareth's level of detail. If this is in fact true, they were saying that apparently part of the the tactical reasoning behind it was that Perisic was playing on on that right hand side. Perisic obviously being a left kind of left winger traditionally, and therefore would probably be cutting inside. So therefore maybe trip, you know, Trippier. If he's cutting inside a lot, it's, it's on Trippier's stronger side. Now whether or not that's just you know after timing. You know, it all worked out, so let's make up a reason that seems valid. Who knows? But if that is actually the attention to detail that Gareth's kind of looking towards, then I suppose we've got to commend him for it. But, yeah, it's de- it's definitely a bizarre one because there was the whole hurrah, you know, the furore around the four right backs. Uh, and then he picks one of the right backs at, at left back, and you kind of think, well, maybe that's why he picked four right backs because we're going to be using them at left back as well. But, yeah, it's we've got two quality left backs there, and it's – it's bizarre, but am I right in saying someone said to me today that, that Shaw's got a knock? Is that is that right, or have I missed that one?
0: I mean, I, I, is there a slight theory to say that United players are dropping like flies for whatever <laughs> reason? It is becoming a little bit spooky. Maguire, Henderson, now apparently Shaw. Uh, it is becoming a little bit strange. Um, and also, ba- back to the theory that you heard on the podcast, I hate to... Yeah. I don't want to use the words, but something on Bonfire, on your Bonfire. Uh, Perisic played on the left, so there's actually who played on the right, and he's right-footed, so... Um, right, yeah, no, that, yeah. That, maybe I should probably fact-check my... Uh, it's probably pod- not you, it should be the podcast, the podcast should be fact-checking. They've had a bit of a stinker there. Um, lastly, before you let you go, obviously Marcus Rashford didn't feature either, it was Foden and Sterling... Um, do you feel as though um, there's a lot of people saying he's burnt out or do you think this is a case of Gareth tactically just fancy Sterling a little more? Because Rashford has been a favourite of his for a while.
5: Yeah, it's probably a bit of both. Um, also, I suppose, you know, from a from a managerial perspective, he's got such a wealth of options in those position you know, those three positions up front that maybe it's, it's kind of the easier, you know, you can always lean back on this while you're injured. It kind of gives him mm. less headache, doesn't it? And he can just he can just put another player that's in form. Because again, with Marcus, I mean, I love the geezer. He's he's a hero, but you know, probably by his own admission, hasn't had the best season, or certainly the the latter the latter games of the season. You know, he wasn't in his best form. So maybe there's an element of that. There's probably an element of the injuries as well. I think a lot of United fans they would have liked him to emulate Greenwood, wouldn't they? And and mm. kind of probably withdraw himself. You know, and I've heard a few of my pals United fans say, oh, this this wouldn't happen under Fergie. You know, he needs to be more assertive and stuff. But I remember with Rooney back in 06, you know, he went there with the boot on, didn't he? Trying mm. to kind fast of track his recovery. So you know, yeah, obviously Fergie was had more authority and everything. But you know, ultimately if a player wants to play for his his national team and he's passionate about it. It's kind of hard for you to step in the way. The player's going to have the choice. The the, the frustrating thing with Marcus is, obviously, you know, it'd be nice for him to feature, but from a selfish perspective, I'd, you know, I probably would have preferred for him to get whatever he needs done, done, maybe operations, whatever, and just be fit for us next year. Because we ain't going to see the best out of him. You know, if he's playing with two things that need operating
0: on, he's never going to be optimal form, is he? Yeah, exactly. And I did say I'm going to let you go, but I've just seen a notification, which is very relevant to you as a United fan. And of course, this is Euros focused, but the transfer window is open. Sergio Ramos and Real Madrid are part in ways. Now, if there is any player who's been linked to Manchester United in the last 10 years, year after year, it is Sergio Ramos. Yeah. Would you like Sergio Ramos at Manchester United? I thought you were going to say uh, Schneider then, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah right? him as well. <laughs> yeah, he's retired for like three years, but I'm sure we'll probably get linked link with him anyway. Um, yeah, Ramos, what do you think? How old is he now? He must be pushing... I think
0: he's about 33, 34. 33, and he
5: seems to be picking up a few more injuries, doesn't he? Like, in his latter. Yeah. I don't know, is, is he the answer for us? I mean... I also have just seen as well, at the same time they announced Ramos is going, probably in concert, uh, Veran's Someone's come out and said Varane's now confirmed to stay. So Varane is another one that we were linked with, obviously, in the last few weeks. Um I don't know. Do you think he'll go for Ramos? Uh, would it, would he be the right answer next... To, I mean... Do you want Ramos? Do I want Ramos? It, if we're going to break down the centre-back position at United, obviously we've got Maguire, he's the number one. People then would, would point to his partner and say, well, Lindelof's not quick enough to be Maguire's partner. If you're going to play with, with Maguire, you need a, someone who's got a little bit more pace to get him behind if they get exposed is Ramos a quick defender to he's-
0: confirm he's actually 35 years old so he's probably quicker if he was 34 but it wouldn't make that much of a difference
5: exactly yeah i don't know. like you are basically you you're doing a cavani aren't you you're buying a stock gap so what you're saying is okay we're going to focus on on the budget we'll focus towards other positions we'll buy you know we'll bring him in for a year or two knowing that then maybe we can buy another long term partner for maguire down the line so bet- that Essentially, if we go for someone like Ramos, it's purely because we feel that we need to strengthen more in other areas. Uh, I don't necessarily think he's the answer, but, you know, he's he's a f- fantastic player. If you can get a year or two of him like you have out of Cavani, then I don't know if you can
0: moan. Interesting take on it. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure we'll talk again. Definitely. Yeah, nice chatting. Enjoyed it. That is it for episode two of the nub. So much crammed into such a short space of time and so much insight and so much passion as well. That is what the nub is all about. And if you want to feature on the show, if you want to want to have your thoughts heard, then make sure you tweet me at Rambo FYI. And also go to nubpod.com. That way you can find the pod wherever you want to listen to it. And if it gives you the option to give it a five-star rating, then make sure you do. We'll see you on episode three. Oh uh-huh.